So the date was September the 11th, 1995. There was a happy little squirrel that was walking along the Metro North power lines near New York City. Well, this particular squirrel lacked the balance and grace of other squirrels of its kind, so it fell from its line only to get caught on two lines below. And the squirrel's body acted as a conduit between the two lines, setting off an electrical charge, weakening an overhead bracket and causing a live wire to break free from a pole and fall onto the train track below. Well, about that time, a train was coming through, and it grabbed that power line. It didn't not only pulled that one off of the pole, it stripped all of the other power lines off of that pole. In the end, 47,000 commuters were stuck in Manhattan for hours, confused about the entire situation as work crews tried to restore power and put in temporary lines and get the trains moving again. What's the moral of the story? Something doesn't have to be big to cause a lot of damage. A 12-ounce squirrel caused tens of thousands of dollars of damage to a city, and it inconvenienced 47,000 people. Now, this morning, we are back in James chapter 3, and James is not talking about unbalanced squirrels. He's not talking about power lines or trains He's actually talking about something smaller than a squirrel that can do more damage than that squirrel. He's addressing the tongue. James contends in this text that the tongue is a deadly member of the body. It is full of evil. It defiles the body. And according to James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says that the tongue was set on fire by hell. All of the books in the world could not contain the number of stories of organizations, of families, of friendships, of individual lives that have been destroyed because of the tongue. What we say, why we say it, who we say it to, the impact that it has on those around us, all of that matters. In a much broader sense, the topic of the tongue is just one area of inconsistency in which James is addressing in this letter. He's actually already addressed other areas of inconsistency, like how Christians treat people and how they handle trials and how they walk through temptation and so many other topics. And in every one of those topics, he encourages believers to live a life of integrity where what they say and what they do are the same thing. Their beliefs and their behaviors match. And in order for that to happen, a person needs to have wisdom and they need to have spiritual maturity. Wisdom and spiritual maturity are essential in the believer's life. So today, I'm going to give about a brief 2, 3, 4, 7, 10, 15 minute recap of last week. However long it goes on, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be brief, but I'm going to give a brief recap to make sure everybody's back on the same page, and then we're going to continue in this same text. So I invite you to join me once again, James chapter number 3. James chapter 3, instead of me reading the entire 12 verses, I'm actually just going to focus on the first five. That's, that's the section that we will cover, although I want to remind you that our big truth that was shared last week is going to be brought up again today. That big truth covers all 12 verses. We're just going to break it down section by section. So this morning is part two of more than words. Here's what the text says starting in verse number one. 
Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask again, we do this week after week, we ask again, would your spirit guide us into truth? We know it unless the Spirit opens eyes, convicts hearts, moves in lives, then God, we come in, we sing songs, we hear words of a message, and we walk away unchanged. God, may your Spirit bring genuine life change. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you really want to know about your character, that is, if you want to know, are you mature, are you immature, are you maturing? If you really want to know about your character, your tongue will tell the story. The tongue is linked to the heart. Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When our heart is right, our words are right. Our speech is edifying, it's encouraging, it is gracious, it is truthful, it it builds up those that are around us. We say the right thing in the right way at the right time. If our words are wrong, it points to something that's happening in the heart. It points to the fact that there is an issue at the heart that is now flowing out through our lips. Our heart has corruption. Our heart is dealing with issues of sin. We say things that we should never say. We cut people. We wound people. We degrade. We lie. We pull down. All of those things come out of the heart. So our big truth that we shared last week and covers this entire text is once again the focus this morning. What we say reveals who we are, the direction we take, the impact we make, the one we trust, and the clarity of our witness. That's the big truth that we're going to continue to unpack. Now, for the person who says, my words are not that big of a deal, Uh, everybody messes up. If you understood the situation, you would know why I said what I said. And besides, if, if all I have to deal with is my lips, my speech, then I'm in a really good place. Word of God would absolutely challenge every part of that. In fact, the issue here is our circumstances do not define sinfulness. God does. Right and wrong are revealed by God and that's shared in the word. Our words are not the last part of our sanctification, but according to the challenge given by James, our words show if true sanctification is happening at all. Our words flow out of our heart, and if there's not change at a heart level, then true sanctification is not happening. So in addition to giving that big truth this last week, we also talked specifically about teachers found in verse number one. Here was the the I guess the principle, the challenge that we found. Teachers of Scripture bear a greater responsibility and will receive a stricter judgment. Now, I'm not going to go back through and cover every part of that. If you want to hear more of it, go back and listen to this last week. But just know, this is a warning to Bible teachers 
that what you say matters. When we teach, and and this includes me as a a minister of the gospel, as I teach, if what I say, I cannot go back and see it supported here, then there's a problem with that. There's a stricter judgment that comes upon teachers of the word. Now, I'll also say this. The warning is also for those who might want to teach the word out of the wrong motivations. They think that by teaching the word, there's greater prestige. They think that it brings power. They think that it brings influence or whatever. And if that's where the person is, then he would say, just remember, it might not bring any of that, but I'll guarantee you what it does bring, a stricter judgment. Keep that part in mind. So even if the motives are right, even if a person is gifted and called to teach, it doesn't always mean that that individual is qualified to teach. There are times that sin in a person's life will either temporarily or permanently disqualify them from teaching. There are certain times that a person's age or the way in which they've been in the faith, maybe it's three months, five months, six months, they're young in the faith, and because of that, according to Scripture, they should not be placed in that position of responsibility. It's disqualified for a period of time. There's other times that if a person is teaching something that is antithetical to Scripture, it is not the gospel, it is another gospel, that individual doesn't need to be talking at all. They, they need to keep that to themselves. So there are times that a person could be gifted and even called, and yet other pieces would say you're disqualified for a season of time. To sin with the tongue, with a couple of people in private, is bad enough. To sin with the tongue, in a crowd, in public, is immeasurably worse. More people are impacted, and more damage can be done. That's where we left off this last week. Now, I want us to focus on that big truth. We're going to break it down section by section, and I've also, in your notes, I've put the corresponding passage off to the side so that we can walk through it. So here's the way that big truth starts. What we say reveals who we are. Look at what it says in verse number two. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. The the phrase, we all stumble in many ways, is a phrase that reinforces the truth that this is a situation, a sin, a problem that no one is exempt from. The fact that the word for is there, it connects it back to verse number one when talking about teachers as well. In other words, even teachers stumble with their tongue. This is not just a problem for some people or a few people or a group of people. This is a problem for humanity. The word stumble, it refers to any moral lapse or a failure to do what is right. Now, there is one word that is found in verse number two. That if we understand that one word, it helps us understand the entire argument that James is bringing. The word is perfect. Notice what it says. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now that word has two possible meanings. One meaning of that word is that something is absolutely perfect. It is without flaw. It is without any error. The other meaning of that is it could be used of something that is complete or something that is mature. Now, that's the context in which we need to see this because we understand that there's only one who is perfect, there's only one who is flawless, and that is God. 
And yet this idea of something being complete or maturing, that is the entire theme that we find within the book of James. So the entire letter comes back to the fact that he wants us to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Chapter 1, verse 4. A person who does not stumble in what he says is giving evidence of maturity. Now, the book of James, it gives us 10 different contexts or 10 pathways to maturity. I I want you to see this. I'm going to briefly go through them, but they're going to be up on the screen for a moment so that you can see the breakdown. But the entire book of James gives a beautiful description of the context or the pathways or things that lead to maturity. So the first is we mature through suffering. We find that over in chapter 1. We mature through scripture study. We mature through sincerity of convictions. We mature through service. We mature through sound speech. That's the entire section that is being addressed right now. He's talking about our words. There's a maturity part that comes with this. We also mature with submission to God. We mature with self-sacrifice. We mature with steadfastness. We mature with supplication or prayers. And then we mature with soul winning. Those are 10 different pathways, different contexts in which maturity happens. So let's just take that for a moment. If a believer's saying, God, I want to mature my walk with you, you want to read the book of James. Because he's about to show you these are the pathways, these are the channels, these are the context that will lead to genuine maturity. If you're concerned about discipling others and and you want to make sure that they are mature in the faith, if you're concerned about your children and you're saying, I want to make sure I'm a good example, I'm training, I'm teaching, but at the same time, I want to see maturity in their life. Read the book of James. The book of James gives situation after situation. and says, these are the paths. These are the contexts that lead towards maturity. So let's now home back in on what it says in verse number two. If someone does not stumble with their tongue, they're showing evidence of maturity. But that is not how verse number two begins. It starts with, for we all stumble in many ways. Not a handful, not a few. We all stumble in many ways. I want you to write this reference off to the side. Romans chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Romans 3, 13 through 15. The Apostle Paul gives five different members of our body that are the most common vehicles of sin. Listen to the five he gives. Throat, tongue, lips. Mouth, feet. Four out of the five are pointing back towards our mouth. If we are to be serious about maturity, he was like, what's happening in the mouth, what's coming out of your lips, the things that you're saying, all of these are crucial. It says we stumble in many ways. Now it's getting quiet, so let's see if we can wake some people back up in here for a moment. So there's a story of a guy by the name of Dave. Dave would stumble over a lot of his words. But Dave was a super nice guy, loved the Lord, loved people. He just seemed to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But that didn't matter. His pastor loved him. He knew his heart was right. And 
He asked Dave if he would be a part of welcoming a group of international leaders to a mission banquet at the church. And David was very quick to jump on that. So the banquet started, the room was filled with laughter, it was filled with languages, people were talking, it's just a buzz in the air, everybody seemed to be having a great time, and Dave found himself sitting next to one of these international leaders, but this guy was quiet. He, he seemed to be reclusive, he wasn't saying anything to anyone, he didn't know which language he spoke, he didn't really know how to engage But all he knew is when the plate was served, this man was enjoying every bite. So at one moment in awkwardness, trying to break the silence, he looks over at the man and he says, chomp, 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 good, huh? The guy looked at him and said, hmm, good. He's like, okay, that's my first step. A few moments later, this guy was enjoying a great cup of coffee. And I mean, he was sipping it and enjoying every part and Dave says, glug, 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 good, huh? He said, hmm, good. About that time, the man gets up, walks up to the podium, and he's the keynote speaker. (laughs) And Dave's eyes got as big as saucers as this man delivered a grammatically perfect Oxford-accented message that everybody was hanging on every word that the man said. And when it was over with, Dave's head was down. The man came back, and he sat down next to him, and he leaned into Dave, and he says, blab, 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 good, huh? (laughs) Okay, we all mess up with what we say. We all say things that we wish we could get back. Now, granted, we might not all be breaking international relationships, but we say things that come out at different times. How how many times have you been in a conversation and you walk away and you're like, why did I say that? How many times do you say something and it's coming out your mouth and you're like, no, stop, stop, and it just keeps coming. And then you walk away and you're like, where did that even come from? How many times do you have one of those conversations and the moment you walk off to the side, the Spirit of God says, you shouldn't have said it. And then you're in this place of, God, what do I do? And the Spirit says, apologize. And in that moment, that is a moment of Spirit-led living that either leads to obedience or it will lead to a pattern of sin that is developed with your tongue. This passage is not trying to bash people and just say, man, you just can't get it right. The passage is saying there's a universal problem we're dealing with, and if we don't take it seriously, it's going to impact everything else around us. Our tongue is a powerful weapon If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle. Did you get this? Able to bridle the whole body as well. A Christian who can bridle the tongue is able to bridle the rest of their life. The the body here, it, it refers to the person in general, to their whole being. In other words, if our tongue is under control, everything else will follow. Do you get how powerful that is? 
So if we want to grow in maturity, if we want to represent God well, if we want to be a walking billboard for the power of the gospel and the glory of God, then we must regularly submit our tongue back before God. We not only need to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life, we need to obey the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to stop making excuses. We need to stop saying it's the other person's fault. We need to stop comparing what we say to other people around us and instead compare it to what the scripture say is good and proper speech versus what is not. As long as you're saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. That other guy is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. The word of God clearly shows us the standard. When we get concerned about our tongue, we will begin to pray like David prayed in Psalm chapter 141 verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We welcome the Spirit's conviction because we know the Spirit is not doing that to just get us upset, to make us feel bad. The the Spirit is doing that because this is an issue that is getting in the way of maturity. The Spirit is loving us well with that conviction. Whenever we're serious about what comes out of our mouth, we will take The book of Proverbs with a whole different level of intensity. Because Solomon's teachings about the tongue are profound. I would encourage you. You all know, I am in the book of Proverbs every day. I read other portions of scripture every day for well over 25 years. I've been in the book of Proverbs. I would encourage people to highlight or underline every time it speaks to the tongue. Put it in one particular color so that that color pops off the page. And you open it up and you will see passage after passage that's talking about our speech. I cannot tell you how many times, all this, hopefully you get this. I cannot tell you how many times somebody said something to me and I am fuming. And I'm telling God everything they did wrong. I'm giving God the business about their business. I'm like, God, this person did this, and they said this, and it hurt my heart here, and what they're saying is not true there. And all of a sudden, I'll be in the book of Proverbs, and he will challenge my speech before I go out and blow up a relationship. There is something powerful about sitting alone with God and the word of God, and allowing him to verbally adjust our hearts so that what comes out of our mouth is only edifying for others around us. And if God does the correcting in private, it's so much easier than him bringing correction in public. Allow scripture to define it. Listen to just a few of these. It says in Proverbs 18, 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Oh, by the way, those who love to talk will eat the fruit either good or bad. It's going to bear fruit. It's just what fruit do you want to eat? Chapter 21, verse 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. How much trouble do we get into? Because our mouth just keeps open. (laughs) Okay, I was not going to say this. I had a funny thought just hit me just then. At least I think it's funny. Uh, Different parts of the country, they have different phrases. And one of the ones that they shared when we lived in North Carolina, it cracked me up. 
<laughs> I heard people say, that person's got enough mouth for two set of teeth. <laughs> I don't know why that came out, but I'm just reading this. I was like, person who keeps their mouth. All right, sorry about that. All right, serious, serious. You all are distracting me. Chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Chapter 19, verse 5. He who breathes out lies will not escape. If lies are coming out, be sure your sin will find you out. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. James presents the tongue as being vital, a vital key to self-control and vital to a virtuous life in Christ. When the Holy Spirit controls the most volatile part of who we are, every other challenge is a downhill run from there. If that one can be conquered, everything else follows. Here's the next piece. What we say reveals the direction we take. Now this is gonna be pretty quick because it's very simple. It's right there in the text. Look at what it says in verse three through the first part of verse five. Now if we put bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. Now, James gives two illustrations of how the tongue controls the direction of a person's life. The first is that of a horse and a bridle. The second of those is that of a ship and its rudder. So let's start with the first of those. Wild horses, they're beautiful, they're majestic, they're powerful. They make some incredible pictures. But listen, a wild horse is not useful in a productive sense to humanity. I'm speaking here about the special ways that horses have allowed humanity to accomplish bigger tasks from farming to pulling to plowing to racing to riding. It is only when a bit has been placed in the horse's mouth that discipline and direction can now happen. Pause. A horse will not bridle itself, nor will we. We're going to come back to that in a moment. That's a little something fun to think about until we get there. James's reference to a horse is a powerful illustration for a number of reasons. But one of the main reasons it's powerful is because of a mindset of the ancient world at that time. They viewed a person's body, they viewed a person's appetites as being bestial or brutish, completely uncontrollable. If we're going to be honest, I think we're using the same excuse today. How many times does somebody describe maybe desires of their flesh? Maybe they're de describing, uh, maybe it's a fleshly appetite, a sinful thought, and they'll say something like, it's just who I am. I can't control it. It's a part of my life. I've dealt with this for years. Something just comes over me. Basically, we accept and many times excuse issues because we feel powerless to change them. And if you're talking about changing the tongue in 
our strength and our ability, we are powerless to change the tongue ourselves. It says no one can tame the tongue. But where we are powerless, God is all-powerful. He can do in and through us what we could never do ourselves. So our issue is not, God, I'm going to... I'm going to change this. Oh, I see it's a problem. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to change it. Our thing is, God, unless you do something in my heart, unless you guard my lips, unless you change my speech, I'm going to continue to say the wrong thing in the wrong way with the wrong heart and the wrong motivation. I'm going to hurt those around me. I'm going to hurt myself. God, I need you. And here's what the Bible says. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Grace is God's unmerited favor where he does in us and through us and for us what we could never do for ourselves we need grace we need God to be the one to control that part of our lives James is making a huge point with the horse and the bridle bits in the mouth bring obedience to the master when the master, the owner of the horse, can turn the horse's head, the master can turn the entire body. Even a gentle horse, one that has been ridden for years, still needs bits in the mouth to be productive for their owners. The correlation with believers is strong. A controlled tongue is a sign of obedience to our master. Verse number two calls that person perfect they're complete. They are mature. When God can turn our head, he can turn and direct our life. If we desire to be used of God, if we want God to allow us to serve in his kingdom and for us to be able to use the gifts that he has placed in us, it's going to come back to the issue of where is the tongue leading. There are certain opportunities, certain uh, available places that because of what's coming out of our mouth, we might not be allowed to serve in that area yet. This is huge. Just as an unbridled horse is not useful to people, an unbridled tongue is not useful to God. It limits how God will choose to use that person. The next illustration there is that of a ship and its rudder. Uh, the ship could be huge, and yet its ability to be steered rests completely in a small little piece called the rudder. As the rudder controls and directs the ship, the tongue controls and directs our life. It can either guide a person towards a life of peace and joy with God, or it can steer a person towards a path of destruction and pain with themselves and those around them. A rudderless vessel is uncontrollable. If a ship cannot be steered, the pilot cannot keep it on course. The ship will be tossed about by the waves, chapter 1, verse 6. But when the rudder is working, the captain can direct the ship with a simple nudge of the hand. With either of the examples that James gives, control is crucial. A runaway horse or a ship off course, both can cause damage to everyone around them. A horse that cannot be controlled cannot be directed. A ship that cannot be steered is a liability to everyone around. Both illustrations provide truths for believers who want to be used of God. The passage says, even so, the tongue 
is a little member and boast great things. You'll notice it doesn't say what it's boasting, but we do know that a tongue that is left to itself and a body that has been influenced and impacted by sin, boasting and arrogance and self-promotion are usually going to be things that come out of our mouth. The tongue proves to be a source of greatness, either great pain or great good. So let's wrap it up with this. What we say reveals who we are and the direction we take. So what are your words revealing about you? Where are your words directing your life? An unknown writer wrote these words, powerful. If your lips would keep from slips, five things to observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, of how, of when, and where. Think about your life for just a moment. And this, when I say think of your life, don't think about anybody else. Don't think so-and-so, man, they need to hear this message. No, we all need to hear the message. So I want you to think about your life, you personally. Look back over your journey. For some, it's a journey of 10 years, others 30, others 60, 70, 100. Like, your journey is going to depend on you. Look back over your life and ask some questions about where your tongue has placed you. Are there jobs that you have lost because of what you said? Are there relationships that have been severed because of what you said? Has the enemy used your words to bring division in the house of God? Is another person's reputation safe with you? Are you sinning by slander, through gossip? Are you sinning through lying? Are you sinning through complaining and grumbling of tearing down? Like, what, is, what are your words saying about you? Our words reveal our character. It's, it's revealing something about our maturity. This last week, a really nice lady in the church handed me a note after the service, and she said, I wanted to give you this story and give you a quote that my grandmother shared with me about the tongue. And it's gold. I want you to hear this quote. What Sally says about Cindy says more about Sally than it does about Cindy. You need to hear that again. What Sally says about Cindy says more about Sally than it does about Cindy. Scripture says what we say reveals who we are. Now let's jump on the other side of this for a moment. What are you not saying that you should? Where are you silent where you need to be speaking up? Scripture tells us, sing God praises. Tell others of his goodness. Magnify his name. Exalt his name. Glorify his name. 
are you sinning by silence? Are you sinning by refusing to tell others around you what God's doing in your life? Are you sinning by staying silent so that nobody even knows that you're a believer? Tomorrow, if you were to walk into your place of work, if you were to show up on your campus at school, and you were to say, I'm a Christian, would that news shock everybody around you? Would they have had any prior warning that this is a believer? Have they heard anything in your life? Have you shared, man, God is good to me? Have you said, do you mind if I pray for you? Have you invited them to church? Like Sometimes people around us might not even know we're a follower of Jesus because we've kept everything so private that we've not told them anything. I don't know how that lines up with Jesus saying that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. I don't know how that lines up when it says, testify of my goodness. Exalt his name together. We're, we're singing about that. Like, if those things are not lining up, then, then something's wrong. There's, there's a sin by silence that is happening on that side. Now, here's another piece. If you continue on the same path you're right, on right now, what will your future look like? Will it bring joy? Will it bring healing? Will it bring blessing? Will it bring glory and honor to God? Or if you stay on the same path, is there just more destruction, more problems, more issues? One of the greatest drivers for change is often recognizing what we will lose if we don't do something. As I said this last week, the tongue is not a problem for a handful. It's a problem for all. And while the problem is universal, oh, please hear me, please hear me, please hear me. While the problem is universal, seeing the need for change is not. If the Spirit of God is prompting you, that's the Spirit of God talking with you. I encourage you to step forward in obedience with that. That doesn't have to be somebody coming to the front. And by the way, invitation time, there are some people that they, they want to come. They want to pray. That, that's a step of obedience for them. Others want to sit in silence and deal with God at their seat. That's just as much a part of the Spirit's activity in their life. We, we don't have to come for it. It's not about everybody else around us. It's about what God's doing in your life. But if God's prompting you, sit, walk forward and kneel down and lay it at my altar, then you need to walk forward, kneel down, and lay it at the altar. So what's God dealing with you in? in this area. When we become more afraid about what everybody else is thinking than what we are about walking in obedience with the Spirit of God, we're already on the wrong path. This is, this is for all of us. I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're going to have some of our pastors who will be at the front, some of our pastor's wives will be joining them. There'll be counselors that'll be available. There might be people in the room right now that you're saying, I don't even know where to begin. I, I recognize there's an issue, but I don't know where to begin. If that's you, maybe a part of that is just share that with somebody. That's a beginning. That's a step. There's others right now in the room that, that you're saying, I've hurt somebody. I know I have. It's caused division. I don't know where to begin. 
according to scripture, where you begin on that is you confess that sin before God and you go to that individual one-on-one and say, I need to ask your forgiveness for what I did. It is amazing the healing God can bring in a moment like that. It might be there's people in the room right now that you don't have a relationship with God. You're, you're hearing things today and you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. I, this is my first time of being in church or this is the first time I've, I've been here. I just don't understand what you guys are talking about, but I'd like to know more. There's pastors and pastor's wives and counselors who are here that would love to talk with you. The issue is, what is the Spirit of God prompting you to do? So I'm going to have a word of prayer. There'll be a final song of invitation, and I'm just going to encourage people, just respond to what God is leading you to do. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may your Spirit clearly lead us as you desire for us to go. We need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing, the altar is open.